Good morning. In uh, preparation for Mikey's message, we're going to uh, read through um, the Bible in Genesis, uh, in Genesis chapter 11, and we're going to read the first nine verses. So, Genesis 11, um, 1 to 9. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city. This is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. just going to get comfortable. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Mikey. If you haven't met me, uh, it's great to be at Southside again, Southside family. Um, I don't mind if you guys call Providence the Sunnybank Presbyterian Church, Ben. Um, but hold on. Um, but yeah, we're down at Sunnybank, uh, where, we, where I usually do church at 5 p.m., and, um, but it's great to be here this morning, this chilly morning, uh, and great to see the Southside family here, or at least half of you, uh, so it's nice. Uh, let's get into this, Genesis 11, we're going to have some fun. Um, last week, you guys were going through 1 Timothy chapter 3, and talking about what it means to be a family, the family of God, and um, I really want us to expound on that, well, expand on that, sorry, a little bit more, and think about what that looks like, being uh, a family of God on mission, and also being inclusive in the way that we do that. So um, Genesis 11 is, is, a, is a really interesting passage about the nations, and we're going to think about how that actually affects the way we see mission in our world and in the church. So let me pray, and we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your love, and we thank you for your word, and through your word we can know your love and know you. And so, Lord, we pray as we go into Genesis today, um, that it'll give us a, a big picture of how you see uh, your church and how you see uh, us as your church reaching the nations around us. We do pray that that, that mission that you're on, um, the mission of God, will be something that sits, uh, and s- sits in our hearts and uh, resonates in our hearts so that it'll overflow into the way we live and the way we reach people. Uh, for your name, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I don't know if you watch much reality TV, um, but it came to my realization last year that on Australian TV, there isn't a very good represent, representation of um, our population. Uh, in particular, Heidi was watching the series of The Bachelor, maybe The Bachelorette, actually. No, The Bachelorette last year. And I, was, I don't usually watch this stuff because I think it's trash. But uh, she was watching it, and I was wondering why there aren't many other ethnicities on the show. Uh, I even went to Twitter for one of the first times in my life and 
hashtagged The Bachelorette and uh, said something about that. And I was, there was someone, a stranger actually responded to me and said two words, shut up. And it was really interesting because here's a, I think I got a photo of it. Well, you can do it, Bailey. So if you look at this, you can tell that there's, when I look at this picture of all the men on this show, they all look quite similar. And, and I was really interested in that. I, I, I didn't know if I was being a bit overly sensitive, um, but I realized I wasn't the only one who shared that sentiment. So I went online and you can see in this next picture that someone made fun of it. And they called it the Asian Bachelorette. And so this was something that came out on YouTube last year by these, uh, this productions called the Wong Fu Productions. And they called it the Asian Bachelorette. It was a satirical short video poking fun at the fact that the show rarely features any Asian men. Right? If, if when the bachelor, Bachelorette brings in a token Asian, they're often um, portrayed as a bit odd, not very attractive, and usually just get rejected straight away in the first round. Now, when interviewed about this, Phil Wang, the director of The Asian Bachelorette, said this, the latest season, and this is in America, highlights the fact that Asian American men are almost never seen or considered to be desirable or attractive in Western mainstream media. It's kind of sad and funny that seeing an Asian man be romantic is uncomfortable or strange in so many people's eyes. So with this video, we wanted to poke fun at that by going to an extreme. If all the contestants are Asian, well, at least we'll make it past the first round of elimination. Now, there's a, lo there's a lot of stuff written and posted online about how Asian Americans lack representation in Western mainstream media. And although uh, they're a significant part of the American population, um, they're rarely portrayed as worthy or a notable lead character. Uh, instead, they hide in the background as the, as the school nerd, right, or the IT geek, the, the quiet oddball, or the, or the kung fu master uh, who flies across the screen. Now, now, you might not have thought deeply about this at all, but I have. It's real personal for me. I did some commercial work back when I was in my early 20s, and my first gig in a commercial was being part of a driving commercial. And I only got the role because they wanted one young Asian male uh, among the cast of four. And, and it was all about diversity, right? That's why they wanted someone in. I had no acting experience, by the way. Um, but I was the only ethnic person that showed up to that audition. So I got the role. And ever since then, I have this acute sense when it comes to seeing token Asians like myself on television commercials. Um, and yes, it is becoming more commentary, which is great, and I celebrate that. But let's dig a bit deeper because there's still so much to improve in our world, isn't there? I mean, there's something wrong with our world when, when headlines on websites tell us that there's another innocent young black teenager that was shot by US police, and that activists are going to the streets to call out the, the institutionalized racism among US police forces, that campaigns like hashtag Black Lives Matter were promoted heavily like, like we saw last year. When we look at Australia, yes, Australia is, is a multicultural, multi-ethnic nation, and we pride ourselves on diversity. But there's still always news reports that I read about of, of racist rants on trains and buses. We buy houses in, in certain areas to, to avoid certain groups of people. I hear that sometimes. We still have politicians in our country who, who believe people from certain parts of the world are dangerous just because of their ethnicity and the color of their skin. We, we've, we've seen hate. Um, this was a while ago, but back in 2005 when we saw the Cronulla riots between, between Lebanese men and Anglo-Australian men. I have Middle Eastern friends that live in Brisbane. They moved here a few years ago. And they told me how they, they bought beach towels and thongs that had the Australian flag on it so that when they go to the beach, they could fit in. That made me really sad. It was really sad when that one, of that, 
one of my Middle Eastern friends, she told me how she was wearing hijab to TAFE one day. And someone came up to her and asked her if she was part of the Al-Qaeda, just because she was wearing a hijab. We want to be a people, right? A nation who, who believe in diversity, but true diversity is, is, is still really hard to come by. Where we see diversity, we often see division. Instead of diversity, we see racism. Instead of diversity, we quietly and strongly encourage assimilation to our way of life. Instead of diversity, there's fear. And that might show itself in making fun of other cultures and colors, looking down on others, or avoiding certain groups of people. And while it sounds good on paper, uh, true lasting diversity is really hard, isn't it? And, and so the question for us, if, if God created us, what did God intend for us as his humanity in this world? Even more so for us as the church, how do we see the nations around and amongst, amongst us? I mean, as Christians, hearing these stories in our world and, and the ones that make the headlines, they should grieve us. We have a responsibility to tell of a, of a greater story that brings people together rather than tears our world apart. A story that's hopeful and real to a tired and divided world. But where does our story start? Well, I think it starts here in the city of Babel. Genesis is a story of, of beginnings. And we're going to see the story of the nations and God's intention for us to be a humanity that flourishes side by side. And so what chapter 11 does, it, it zooms in. It zooms in on before the nations were dispersed. And we're told from the beginning of chapter 11, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. From verse 1. One people with one language. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. The Bible tells us that there was once in history one language and a common speech. Imagine that. Right? There's one language that everyone can communicate without an issue, without confusion, without having to use gestures, without having to use Google Translate on your phone. I mean, that would make traveling to foreign countries so much easier, right? Maybe less exciting, but so much easier. And the Bible speaks of having one common ancestor. We, if you go through Genesis, you know that in Adam and Eve. So sharing one language makes sense. And so I did a bit of research on this because I was really curious about how languages started. Uh, and I wanted to get my head around this. So I, look at, I looked it up, how languages began, and I was, what I discovered was really fascinating. Linguists actually can't agree on whether all languages are descended from a single original language or whether languages emerged independently among several groups of early people. And you think the latter, right? Because you look at languages like, like Chinese or Korean and you're thinking it's so different. Like the characters are so different to what you see in, in English or German, for example. How could they have come from the same language? But then I read this from the Linguistic Society of America, and I've got this on the screen. And it shows us that it hasn't changed. It says this, as far back as we have written records of human languages, 5,000 years or so, things look basically the same. Languages change gradually over time, sometimes due to changes in culture and fashion, sometimes in response to contact with other languages, but the basic architecture and expressive power of language stays the same. You see, the oldest written record of languages just appeared about 5,000 years ago, the first written reports. And these reports actually started in the region of Egypt and Sumeria. Guess what? This part of the Bible that we're reading, they, they, they settled in the land of Shinar. Guess where that is? That's in Sumeria. And so you've got these written records where they go back 5,000 years in a place in Sumeria where, where Babel is. 
And you see, if you look at the languages of, of Chinese, for example, my, my, my parents' language, Chinese didn't start for another thousand years afterwards. And isn't that interesting? You know, according to these written records, there's a real possibility, well, there is a possibility that the first language was here in the Middle Eastern region, right? Around e Egypt and Samaria. There's this plausibility that the development of different languages, um, at least in their proto-forms, uh, started right here. English that we know today isn't, isn't, isn't an uh, ancient language. It was developed and evolved over time. It started from an Indo-European language group, right? It's the same as the Chinese, and, and it was classified under the Sino-Tibetan language group. But the point is, what if the languages that we all know today didn't exist 5,000 years ago because there's one common speech, because there was one common language, just like what the Bible tells us here? It's so interesting, isn't it? Because um, what happens, they, they go and they build this city together, and they want to build a tower that reaches the, the heavens. And they're so advanced as a human civilization, they've moved on from stone and mortar. They're, they're baking bricks. They're using tar. They're building something that's going to last. And so we're thinking, at this point, we're not thinking, don't think skyscrapers here, right? We're thinking um, ancient, ancient buildings like the pyramids or like what the Aztecs used to build, stairs on the outside, that sort of thing that could reach the top. And these, are, these are the type of towers that they're building. Towers to the heavens, they say. They want to bridge earth and heaven itself. But in doing so, their goal is to build a name for themselves. They're saying they want to build a, make a name for themselves or otherwise be scattered across the earth. So we're going to see, that, see their intentions. They want to build a city. They want to build a tower because they want to have a status that's like God's. In their pride, they want, what, they, they want God and whatever humans that, that might be in surrounding regions, they want the humans around them to see how great they are. They're the only people around, right? <laughs> but they want status. As they, they, they reach to the heavens, they want to be God. They want this status, and they want the security. They want to build a big city to show how great they are. It really represents those two things, doesn't it? It's just status and security. They're, not, they're, they're saying, we, want to, they, we don't need God anymore. We can do this ourselves. We're baking bricks now. <laughs> and I wonder how much of that narrative is still in our world today. Don't we often want status and security? We all desire the, the, the big house, don't we, with the tennis courts and, 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 and the gated complex. And if we don't desire it, we at least have a bit of house envy when we go to other people's houses who do have it. We, have those, we all have those hashtag house goals, don't we? It's generally, it's generally true. There's a, there's a sense of us that we want to build our towers that give us status. But we also want security as well. Don't we also want to have those... Um, those big gates and, and, and know that we can have this privacy, our own castle. Don't we also want to know that there's a, a security knowing that we have a house, right? And I think that's something that the, that the election really showed us. The coalition promised bigger budget towards first homeowners grants. There's nothing wrong with buying a house, of course, and you should if you can, but not because the culture says it defines your status and your security, but because it's an opportunity. You see, you see, our status is so, is so built into um, what we own and what we possess and how we look. But what if we could have a house, our towers, our castles, because we wanted to serve God with them? How can I be in a location that can serve my community and, my local, and the local mission of my church? How can I have a home where I can practice hospitality to others? You see, we've got to approach it with the recognition that Whatever house we buy, it's never going to ultimately satisfy us, right? It's not going to ultimately give us security. It's not going to ever last. We're going to find times where we're going to feel enslaved instead of free. 
or, or secure. We're going to feel enslaved to our mortgages. We're going to feel we're going to feel when our economy takes a hit and our house and the house prices dip. We're going to have have house envy of the bigger house down the road all the time. Deep down, we know that the building that building our own towers isn't going to mean much when we find ourselves aged and old and maybe alone in a nursing home with nothing more than our suitcase. God looks at this group of people building this great city and tower, hoping for status and security, and God is disappointed. They're missing the point. So there's a, there's a bit of humor here in verse 5. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. You know, they're trying to reach the heavens to, to, to reach God, but the infinite, all-present, all-powerful, sovereign God has to come down to see the city and the tower, basically saying they're nowhere close to reaching God or his status than when they first began building. God has to come down. Let's pick it up from verse 6. It says, The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That's why it's called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. We see the pride of their heart, and God has an issue with that. But God actually sees a bigger issue, doesn't he? Yes, that he sees that the pride of, of the need for status and security instead of God, but he sees a bigger issue. What he does is, is he confuses the language as a way of showing them that they aren't so great, and he then scatters them across the earth. See, this is, this is where the rubber hits the road for us. It's easy to read this and think the humans wanted to build a stairway to heaven and be like God, and that was their sin. But God knew that was never going to happen, for one. The problem here is that people are also accomplishing great things. They want to be a super nation, and they, don't, they want to stay in that one place. You see, that's the problem. God sees their pride, but he also sees them selfishly staying in this one place, trying to build this mega city for themselves. Why is that the deeper issue? Well, if we actually read through Genesis, what did God call them to do in Genesis chapter 1? I've got it on the screen. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God calls them to be fruitful, right? Multiply and fill the earth. Again, in chapter 9, verse 7, he says, As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Not just build one great city that housed all of humanity. God wanted diversity from the start. He wanted the people to, to get dispersed from the side, and he did this by actually confusing them and creating different languages and, and scattering them across the earth. And so what we, if, you, if you read in context a little bit, chapter 10 of Genesis reads about all the nations after, after Noah and the flood, if you know those stories, Ham and Shem, some of the sons of Noah, we read that those nations were being dispersed. But here in chapter, chapter 11 tells us how that happened. It happened through God's judgment on them. If they're dispersed from the start... If they dispersed from the start, this wouldn't, have, this wouldn't have happened. As God intended from chapter 128, perhaps we'd still be speaking the same lingo, language. But because of the sin and the pride of humanity, God uses languages to confuse instead, and in doing so, scatters them across the earth. Isn't that interesting? This, is what, this was God's plan all along. And if you go to Acts chapter 17, we're going to go throughout the, the text of the Bible. Um, thousands of, of years after this incident at Babel, Paul writes for us, from one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God had marked out nations from the beginning. Now we can see, we can see how great that is in our world today, can't we? Humanity has flourished in many ways today, and we see 
people scattered across the world, and in Australia particularly, we see this beauty of having different languages and, and cultures and ethnicities all here in our, in our beautiful city that we love and enjoy. Yet, as we noted earlier, we're still far away from achieving anything like true uni unity and diversity. We can plainly see in our world how, how racism and wars and disunity amongst nations is still a huge issue thousands and thousands of years later. There's always going to be a superpower that's going to, that's going to threaten and, and, and tread on the heads of others. Everyone wants to play the, the Tower of Babel, it's like a board game really, and become great, right, and make a name for themselves. We might have filled and populated the earth as, as God intended for us, but there is still so much miscommunication, so much disunity, so much division, instead of real and true diversity. And so the God who saw the pride of our hearts and our search for status and security, he planned out for us a better solution. You see, he knows the sin of, of my heart and your heart, and he saves us from it. You see, when we fast forward through the Old Testament, what do we find? We get, we get to meet Jesus, don't we? And in Jesus, we're given a new identity that we can have. When we look at the cross of Jesus, when we see his death and resurrection, we discover a God who unites his people, a people from different cultures and ethnicities and languages and brings them together as one family and we read this in Ephesians in Ephesians 2 13 I have it on the screen as well the passage talks about people of Jewish background and non-Jewish becoming a new people it says this but now in Christ Jesus you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So do you see that? Do you see the beauty of what the blood of Christ has done for us? Genesis gives us beginnings. We hear the beginning of, of sin in the world and, and how the sin of our hearts has, has severed our relationship with the good and great God and it severs our relationship with one another. Yet Jesus, through his perfect and, and sinless life, reconciles our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. He sacrifices his life for humanity so we don't have to, to search for status or security. We've been given a greater one. And in Jesus, through a relationship with God, we have the status of being a child of God, right? What we heard last week, part of a family. We don't need to make a great name for ourselves. We've been gifted with that already because you and I are recognized by the good and great God that he is. We also have the security, though, of having a God who saves us into eternity, far better than any, any false and temporary security this life can offer to us. We've been recognized by God. A security in a relationship that, that, that isn't dependent on... on, on on, it's dependent on a God who fulfills and is faithful to his promises. Far, far better than any security that, that any other relationship could give us. You see what Jesus accomplishes for us. We're made into a new people. We're made into a people of God, a family of God. One. Jesus brings us all, whether, whether we're, we're European or Asian or African or whatever, wherever we're from, we're a new identity, a new people, a family of God a new spiritual humanity, united around Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection. And see, when we set our eyes on Jesus and that identity he gives us, guess what? He points us back to Genesis. When we understand who we are, we're pointing back to Genesis 1, really, from the beginning. Because God made human beings in what? In his image. The Imago Dei, right? When, when, when Jesus unites all of humanity, God shows us that you and I, we're designed in God's image. 
we're created with an innate dignity. So there is no room for, for racism or sexism or classism. No room for abusing others, treating others like objects or looking down on others. Human beings are worthy of respect and dignity because God has created us in that way. And so through Jesus, through the love he has shown us, then we can love one another in one spirit of God as a new humanity. Even with our different languages and cultures and nations, we can find peace. We can find unity in our diversity because of Jesus, because of his love for you and I that crosses all cultures and language barriers. Now, isn't that interesting? You see, because the sin of pride and self-centeredness in building a tower separated us from one another. But now God instead, instead brings us back together in one spirit. And when you look at Acts chapter 2, I'm just taking you through the Bible. Um, I've got this on the screen as well. This is just after Jesus dies. He, he's resurrected and he's ascended to heaven um, before a crowd of witnesses and the early church gathered with the apostle Peter. And in chapter 2, it says this. All of them were there. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. They were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of, them, each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia... Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Isn't that beautiful that the nations gather together worshiping God? What's happening here? There's diversity. They're still known by their nations. They're still known by their ethnicities. So diversity is retained, but instead of making a name for themselves, their tongues have been loosened to proclaim the glories of Jesus Christ. To every nation. You see, together we can worship one King, one Lord, one Savior, and we can proclaim Him in our different languages. And so God's original plan from the beginning was to disperse, to scatter people right across the earth. And this great story continues on thousands of years later to the time of Jesus. Because those of us who are now in Christ Jesus, Jesus says in Matthew, right, 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus' response to a world of different nations and languages is to go out. Even though you might not have the same language or ethnicity, you and I, we have the same Christ. This is the beauty of the gospel that unites us in diversity. See, God scattered the nations in confusion because of their sin. But God, through Jesus, now scatters his disciples to save the nations from their sin. Isn't that funny? Christ unites and brings us together so that we can be dispersed and scattered into our world. Not so we can be making a name for ourselves in our pride, but so we can make a name for God who is the one worthy of our praise and delight. He's the name we put in bright lights across our city, not our own. This is the mission for us. This is why you and I are here. This is why, why Southside is this church family, it's, it's why we exist, to, pray, to proclaim the goodness of Jesus to the world and bring reconciliation to a, to a tired, exhausted, and divided world. Will we? will we? Will we be united in our diversity and bring that love to others? Do you know that you and I, are, with this undeserving relationship that we have from God, that the message of reconciliation, of, of love and forgiveness has come to us so that, we can, so, that, so that we're called now to bring it to others? 
when you get to the end of your Bibles, you'll find yourself in the book of Revelation. And we're given a prophecy and a glimpse of what heaven will look like. It's going to be a place where we get to be in the presence of God, the God who creates and loves and is the source of all goodness and joy. We get to be there in His presence forever. And you look at Revelation chapter 7, and we're talking about Jesus being in the presence of Jesus. He's referred to as the Lamb of God. And we read this in verse uh, 9, chapter 7. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, the nations will be there, and they'll be united around the throne of God. We're going to be unified in in our diversity, celebrating Jesus. You know, growing up in, in Brisbane, and I'm just going to share a little bit, I hated being Chinese. I hated being Australian-born Chinese, growing up in a predominantly white Australian school. I hated having single eyelids, <laughs> not double eyelids. I wanted to blend in. That's changed a little bit today. I wish I was a, a tall African-American who could shoot hoops and rap. Um, sometimes I wish to be a tall, Dutch, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, chiseled you know, jawline. And I often think, you know, in heaven, that's what everyone, that's the ideal perfect man. But I've been created in God's image, right? And in heaven, we'll be keeping our cultures and our languages. We're going we're to retain that, and, and it'll be glorious. We'll be, we'll be united in, in the retained diversity of culture, rather than, rather than a sea of, of heavenly beige or olive. It'll be colorful. There'll be different languages. There'll be a real and, and true diversity where there's no room for, for racism or, or, or classism or anything else. We'll be one in Christ. This is where our story, our, our narrative, God's story for humanity, that's where it's being directed. Diversity is all part of God's good plan for humanity from the start. And it's a gift for us to enjoy and embrace. I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for a day when I don't have to worry about my future children growing up and, and having other kids at school tell them, this is my experience, tell them that they smell like noodles <laughs> or tell them about their eyes being slanted. I can't, I can't wait for a day when, when the news isn't about war between nations or another black person shot dead in the back by a white policeman in America. I can't wait for a day when there'll be peace, a day when, when every tribe and every color and every nation, men and women, everyone will be gathered around the table worshiping Jesus. I mean, we can have a taste of that today. We can have a taste of that today in our church family and be united on that front. We can be God's people, the church, that's on mission, embracing that call, that call to be scattered, to to bring the good news of Jesus to the nations and to bring them into God's family. The nations that are right here on our doorstep in Brisbane. African, Middle Eastern, Latino, Chinese, Korean, Indian, Vietnamese, whatever nationality. This message of God's love and forgiveness in Jesus is for you, it's for me, and it's for all the nations. If you're here today and this idea, if you're new to church and this idea is so foreign to you, then I want you to know something, that Jesus' life, his death, and his love is, is for you too. Before God, it doesn't matter what our cultural or ethnic background is. God sees you and accepts you as you are. We're all equal before God. You can find a true acceptance and belonging in God's family and here in the Southside family as well. Jesus gives us a new identity so that you and I can can see one another as God sees us. Our humanity 
create, created with, with dignity and respect, as, as one people who can embrace our differences, regardless of, of race or class. We can find a, a greater and deeper peace and unity in our diversity that only God can bring. You might have heard of, of that non-profit organization called One. It was um, co-founded by the, by the singer Bono, right, from U2 back in 2004, it was a while ago. Uh, they've grown up to, to, to about 9 million members worldwide, and I love what they do. And what they did, they don't do much anymore, but they campaign and they advocate to take action to end extreme poverty. They come from every walk of life, from across the political spectrum. They're artists and activists, faith and business leaders, students and scientists. They take action day in and day out, organizing, mobilizing, educating, and advocating so that people will have the chance not just to survive, this is what the website says, not just to survive, but to thrive. That's the idea behind the name One. Different people, one voice. It sounds a bit like the humanity God intended to create. A people diverse across different nations, but made one in Jesus for the purpose of seeing people thrive and flourish in a hope-filled, joy-overflowing, and love-soaked relationship with our God through Jesus. We believe the story of Jesus is a story our world needs to hear, to truly flourish in this life and the next. The gospel of Jesus is the story that gives us real hope and healing to a world that's broken and hurting from, from separation, from hate, from division. We need to tell people about the great need of the human heart, that we can find true acceptance, but a new identity as well, in Christ, regardless of who we are or what our background is. That's the greatest story our world needs to hear. Hashtag all lives matter, because it matters not only in this life, but for the lives of people for eternity. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your, your son Jesus, who does bring us and unites us to you, brings us into a relationship with you so that we can know you as our father so that we can be one family in Christ, so that we can um, be united um, for that same cause, to go out and be scattered, dispersed amongst the nations, to bring the nations in to your family. Lord, may you give us uh, that, not only um, that call, but may you give us that joy and love and um, empower us to go out and do that, to be on mission for you, uh, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of bringing people to know you, and for the sake of of glorifying your name that's worthy of, of all glory. We do pray for that in your son's name. Amen.